0: welcome to the deep dive emerald city hockey's seattle kraken podcast hey everybody and welcome back to the deep dive emerald city hockey's seattle kraken podcast rj we are here on the eve of the start of the kraken's third season i mean ugh. i mean when we were talking about having to do this podcast the day before the season i mean it's you know we're gonna break down the the roster the final cuts all that stuff but it was just like we want a game you know we want to be able Mm -hmm. to talk about the team playing a a real game again it's been so long uh but we're gonna have to wait at least 24 hours rj (laughs) for that to happen to watch them start the season hopefully play spoiler to the vegas golden knights banner raising event that we're all gonna have to sit through before the game tomorrow uh that being said it should it's, it's still just great to to really feel like it's back and and that hockey is is finally upon us again rj
1: for sure. I mean, to be honest, I was kind of sick of how drawn out this preseason felt. It just felt too long. Yes. I can't wait for the game to start counting again, but only have to wait just a little bit more than a day.
0: Yep. And uh, look, I think we, we, we settled on the best podcast option possible, considering we didn't have a regular season game to talk about. And that is, of course, a listener mailbag episode. So we've got tons and tons of fun questions to get into when we get to the deep dive segment of the podcast. But right now we're still at the beginning, which means I got to start off by saying a huge thank you to our sponsor, Queen Anne Beer Hall, for sponsoring the podcast each and every week. It means so much to us to have them on board for another season and just super excited to, you know. Work with them again, and, and hopefully next time I'm up there, get in there. My, my, my diet is back, RJ, post-surgery. I can have whatever I want when I go there. I can't wait.
1: There you go. You lots of options to choose from on the big menu for you there. We'll uh, we'll see how many things we can get you to try.
0: I know. lots of Lots of good stuff. And then also, just because it's a new season, I want to remind everybody that our Patreon is back. Over at Patreon.com/slash Emerald City Hockey, um, it we got tons and tons of great stuff. We did our first episode of the Red Glare Podcast, which is our podcast where we talk about league-wide topics. Uh, we did that last Friday. I thought it went really, really well. But we just announced our full month uh, schedule for everything that we're going to be doing over on the Patreon, um, including our very first uh, extra stream, which will be your armchair GM stream coming up this Wednesday. So you can talk about all the the cuts that the Kraken made. Uh, talk about well, I mean we'll talk about those also here on the podcast, but go more in depth into that. What the overall rosters are looking like both here and at the AHL level. Um, you know what what kind of moves the Krakens might the Kraken might have available to them as the season goes on. All that great stuff that you talk about there. And then on this Thursday on the twelfth, the second game of the season. We will be doing our live commentary game over on Patreon, where if you are a terror of the deep tier patron, you get to watch the game with us. And we all just hang out in a chat, just like similar to the post game lives. Um, but it's it's while the Kraken game is going and we all watch the game together, talk about it. Uh, you know, RJ and I try to break stuff down and entertain everybody through intermissions. It's a lot harder than it sounds, let me tell you, Uh, but we always have a fantastic time. I really can't wait to get back to that one. Uh, And then on the 25th, I will have my prospect live chat. Uh, where I go on and we talk about all, how all the Kraken prospects are doing. So we'll talk about where everybody ended up, whether they're with the Coachella Valley Firebirds or they went back to their leagues in Europe or Major Junior. Uh, we'll talk about how everybody's doing. Uh, usually I'll have video. I don't know for the first one if we'll have video. We might focus more so on where everybody ended up and how they're, they're starting their seasons in those places. Um, but, you know, I, I have been recording some video here and there too. So we might, might take a look at, at some stuff and do some live scouting reports on that as well um so it's it's a and then obviously red glare podcasts every week so that's that's great stuff so lots and lots of good stuff to look forward to on the patreon for this month of october including the fact that anybody can right now go and sign up for a free seven day trial and like I just said there's lots of good stuff this week especially might want to look into that seven-day trial where you can hop on you'll get the red glare from last week you can listen to this Wednesday you could join RJ for his armchair GM stream and then on Thursday you can join us for that live game commentary I think this would be a great week for everybody to try that seven day trial and then hey if you like it just stay a patron you get to do it every month with us be awesome There's, there's the spiel RJ how was that
1: Well done, Dylan. No, I was I I, well done. I'll give you a little round of applause there. I think you got everything out there. I mean Look, I think you explained why it's a good time to start that free trial right now, right? You get the Armchair GM chat. You can join us for the live commentary, which, again, is always such a fun time. I'm really looking forward to that. We were bouncing around a few different dates. We had polls out for the patrons, which date we wanted. And you know what? I'm glad that the earliest possible date won because it's just been too long. I I miss everyone. I miss just sitting down for a game with the community and just hanging out and watching it.
0: Definitely. So looking forward to that. But now let's go ahead and start the, pros- the, the The prospect. Let's start the podcast proper. There we go. Too too many P words there for me. Uh, let's start the podcast proper with news and notes. RJ, you've been around through the roster cuts through their practice today, that last practice before the regular season starts. What do you have for us?
1: So quite a bit, actually. The Kraken made their final roster cuts, and the opening night roster is pretty much taken shape. Uh, so the Kraken's final roster cuts, they cut five players, the last five players out of camp. Uh, they sent two players down, uh, Riker Evans and Shane Wright. They did not require waivers at all. They just went down to the Coachella Valley Firebirds. They are going to start the season there. And then three players that were put on waivers and have since cleared waivers, thankfully, uh, that is Chris Drieger, Cale Flurry, and John Hayden. So the roster currently stands at 22 players. So you can have 23 players on a roster. There is an extra roster spot for the Kraken. And we did get to chat with Ron Francis about that. And he said, you know, it banks some extra cap space. Good to have that flexibility there. Um, You know, didn't read too much into it as as far as any of that stuff. And I think if you look at the guys they sent down, Riker Evans, there's just not a spot for him to be playing on the NHL roster right now. We talked about it, right? Mm -hmm. There was almost nothing he could possibly do in training camp to earn a spot right off the bat if everyone was healthy. So he goes down to Coachella Valley, not a huge surprise. Shane Wright, I think that's where the team wants him to start down there. I think it's going to be good for him. We can talk a little bit more about that later, but I think it's going to be really good for him to get some games in there early. That's where they want him to start the season. And then Chris Drieger, of course, you know, there's three goalies, two nets. Uh, Drieger ends up being the guy going down. Joey Decord earns the, uh, the final goalie spot there. Cale Flurry, same issue as Riker Evans, right? Just crowded blue line, has to go down. And then John Hayden was the one that I thought maybe they would keep up, just given you have that extra roster spot for him. But I think Ron Francis sensed an opportunity there with waivers being so crowded on October 7th, the day that they sent them down, that probably you could sneak him through there and he wouldn't be claimed turns out Francis was right and so now you have the ability to send Hayden up and down between Seattle and Coachella Valley for a while um and so you don't have to worry about that going into the season so i think that proved to be a solid move
0: yeah do you think we see like cuz i also saw some people speculating hey you're keeping that that one roster spot open in case you in case you want to claim somebody off of waivers right uh that was an option obviously the Kraken haven't done that at least not yet um do you think that we see Hayden called up, you know, soon or, or somebody called up soon just to have the 23 man roster. Do you think they'll just go without and, you know, another healthy scratch uh, hanging around the team for a little while?
1: I think they might go without it for a little bit. And that's something that Francis touched on a little bit too, talking about that first road trip where I, I don't think any of those games are back to back. So you'll always have a day in between if you do need to call somebody up. And in the meantime, you still have one surplus forward. You still have 13 forwards and you still have one surplus defenseman. So if one player were to be unavailable, you can just slot the guy in and you don't have to worry about it right away. And that way you get to continue to bank cap space. If you only have 22 on the roster, you're using fewer cap space, uh, that less cap space than if you had called somebody else up. So I think they're going to stick with the 22 for now. And of course, you know, if there is... Anybody surprise comes up on waivers that's maybe worth the claim, you know, Ron Francis will always take any opportunity he can get to make his team better. Uh, I wouldn't count on that. I don't think a waiver claim is really coming. It's not something he's necessarily looking at, uh, but that's kind of where they're at. Hey, you never know when the next
0: Ellie Tolvin is going to be you know, thrown out there, right? Exactly. And, and you want to be able to be a <laughs> uh, able to jump on an opportunity like that. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Riker Evans and Shane Wright, because I think those are probably the two biggest names. Um, Riker Evans, I, I think you you even said it, right? There's, we talked about it last week. We've been talking about it. There was no room for him. Uh, he played fantastic, though, all through his time up there, through training camp, through the preseason games. I have to imagine if... If when there is an injury on the blue line, Riker Evans is the call up, right? Like that, that is going to be who the Kraken decide to, to bring back up. I mean, would you, would you disagree with that? First off.
1: I think I think in most cases yes like I think I said last week it depends on what kind of spot they're looking to fill you also have a Megna who's a little bit more defensively solid and, and can kind of fill a different role there and if that's the case I think you want Evans playing AHL games still you do not want him sitting in the press box you don't want him to be the healthy scratch in Seattle so I think they might still look at that um, also I don't know if I don't think the game was in Edmonton, so I didn't get the chance to ask afterwards because, of course, I didn't travel to the game. But you watched it, too. I I personally thought the evans Larson pair had a really rough first period in that Edmonton game. Got a little better as the game went on. But after watching that, I thought, okay, well, he's not ready to necessarily steal anyone's job right now.
0: Yeah, I, I did think that it was kind of like, you know, just this little sour note towards the end of his whole experience. I just think he's so special on the power play right? And, and just to break down kind of why, I, I talked about this on the Discord um, with some people, but just for the larger audience here real quick, um, what what makes the power play look so much better with Riker Evans than, say, it, it has looked in the past for the Kraken is just his ability to move laterally at the top of the zone up near the blue line. Kind of takes a step down, creates a little bit of a shorter playing surface there, um, and then he just moves side to side when he has the puck. And, and by doing that, you know, there's not a lot of movement on the Kraken power play. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. Um, there's not a lot of movement there, but what by Riker Evans moving side to side, it forces his wingers on the half boards to, to kind of adjust to that. But most importantly, it draws penalty killers away from them. When the Kraken power play stays largely stagnant, it's really easy for the PKers on the other team to just kind of stand in the set passing lanes and not have to worry about moving. You don't necessarily have to pressure... Also a stationary defenseman up top, you know, that's a long shot that your goalie can see. You don't really need to worry about it, right? And so what I thought that Riker Evans did that was super, super uh, exciting and different from what we've seen with the Kraken power play was he just moved side to side, RJ, and it really just opened everything up. And I thought that was that was the big thing with Riker Evans. So I do hope that maybe he imparted some of that wisdom on the Kraken power play. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but uh, I just want to throw that out there about Riker Evans. Shane Wright now, RJ. I mean, there was some stuff said also about the sending down of Shane Wright to Coachella Valley. Again, it's something you and I had talked about. It probably makes the most sense for him to start the season there, just you know, get some first line minutes, get more playing time than say playing on the fourth line with the Kraken would give him. Um, but I also saw some interesting kind of quotes floating around from from maybe hackstall and Ron Francis about it.
1: That's right. So uh, Ron Francis, we'll talk about it uh, too because. I think Shane Wright probably would have just been playing seven, eight minutes a night on the fourth line. And Francis said, that's not what you want for a prospect like Shane Wright. I think he was pretty clear about that, that they'd rather have him playing big minutes in Coachella Valley. And of course I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and look, Shane Wright, he had a a fine training camp. I think he looked a lot more comfortable. That's something that Dave Haxtell talked about, uh, that it was a much simpler summer for him and training camp and that whole process. You didn't have the draft and the immediate aftermath of that and the media circus, at training camp Mm -hmm. and everything he was able to just go in and do the job he was there to do. And I thought he looked fine, but didn't like the world on fire. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as a result, I think it's best that he goes to Coachella Valley. And I asked Dave Hackstall, what's the message to Shane as he heads down there? And Dave said that the message is to feed off the progress that he's made. He's made progress. We see that at every level of his game uh, and just feed off of that progress and continue to build off of it. He also said that he had a, a very clear discussion uh, with Shane about the areas of his game that they want him to focus on while he's down in Coachella Valley. Uh, he said uh, Dan Bilesma, Jess Campbell, that whole AHL coaching staff was also you know, part of that communication and that there are certain areas of his game that they really want him to focus on while he's down there. So he knows exactly what he needs to do to get that call up.
0: Yeah, and I just think that's super key, right? The fact that the whole organization is on the same page. That it's not just, you know... Hackstall telling a player a young player, okay, here's what you know, what you can work on. But the fact that you're involving the coaching staff of where that player is going to be playing to, so that everybody's on the same page with what they want Shane working on, and and the coaching staff in Coachella Valley is going to be able to put him in positions so that he can work on those things, right? That's a big important thing. You can tell somebody all day, hey, you need to work on this aspect of your game, but if they're never put in a position where they're going to be facing those obstacles, they can't learn to overcome them, right? Uh, So I think the fact that, you know, everybody in the organization is going to be on the same page around Shane is, I think, super important. And, hey, look, we saw it through the preseason with him. Obviously, I wasn't at training camp to see things, but through all the preseason games that I saw from Shane Wright, what I saw was a player who is super defensively responsible, learning how to be a pretty good PKer, actually, Um, and somebody who can show flashes of of how much offensive talent he really has, especially when it comes to, you know, sneaking in net front and maybe stealing a a really good shot here or there. But someone who just needs to be more aggressive. I I just keep saying this about Shane Wright, especially in the offensive zone. He just needs to be aggressive as far as uh, not chasing a play, because you don't want to be doing that, but chasing the opportunities to make a play. Right. There are times where he could come in a little heavier on a four check and maybe try to steal a puck or or at least, you know, bog down the other team in a corner, let's say. Or there are times where, you know, he could he could maybe try to you know not force a terrible pass, but certainly try to move the puck a little bit more or demand the puck a little bit more, which I think was also something that was talked about a little bit from Ron Francis, I think. <laughs>
1: yeah (laughs) no i think francis mentioned a couple times too and and i remember last season too we were talking about even taking shifts that were maybe a little bit too short being a little too conservative in that area i think francis does want to see him open it up a little bit and it's much easier to do that when you are playing in a top six role and you're one of the better players on the team like i think shane will be in coachella valley versus when you're just trying to hold down a, a, a spot at the bottom of the roster in the nhl exactly um
0: all right so what's up next for us rj
1: so on the flip side of those cuts, uh, we had some great stories about a couple players making the team uh, that, you know, we weren't sure it was, there were definitely competitions for those jobs, but they, they ended up winning them. Uh, and that is Ty Karche and Joey Decord. So it was great talking to them the other day after it became clear that they were going to make the roster. And uh, I'll start with Ty Karchi I mean, he was talking about how he had the meeting earlier, right before practice with Hackstall and with Francis, and they let him know that he made the team. And he was saying the guys were ribbing him a little bit because he just couldn't keep the smile off his face. He was trying to play it serious and play it cool, but you know, he was just so happy with the news um, to to find out that he made the team. And um, it's something that doesn't really surprise me at this point that he made the team. We were both kind of skeptical about it. I think Mm -hmm. when he came in, for the playoffs and we figured that's great. He had a good run, but he's going to really have to earn his spot at camp this year. And um but you know what, even in the offseason hearing the way that that Dave Hackstall and Ron Francis were talking about him, it just became clear. As long as he goes in and does his thing, he's going to make the roster and he ends up making it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh the different lineup choices cuz you know, we got our first look at what we think the lines are going to be and it's largely what you and I have been kind of predicting all along and and most people have been so it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize Ty Cartier on the fourth line you know maybe mixing him in and out of the lineup with uh, a Kayler Yamamoto just because you we talked about this too you can have very different looks for that fourth line depending on which of those two players you slot in uh, playing with Brandon Tanev and uh, Belmar there so I think it's going to be interesting for that I'm also interested to see if he gets any sort of special teams time. Uh, He looks like a great penalty killer through the preseason games. I mean, unsurprising given the style of game he plays. It shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, But I think especially if you were able to get him some PK reps with somebody like a Brandon Tanev, who I think, you know, Ty Cartier plays a very similar style of game, or he could play a very similar style of game if he learns some of the tips and tricks that Brandon Tanev has picked up along his NHL journey. So I think that would be something that I'm very intrigued by. And then also, you know, power play, again, foreshadowing, we will talk about the power play in a little bit. He seems like a great guy to maybe have net front, you know, big body, strong guy can just kind of create some chaos if you want him to. I'm kind of intrigued to see if we ever see a look like that in the future from him
1: there are some possibilities there for sure and throughout the preseason we did see him on the power play sometimes usually in the bumper spot i think that's where he was certainly uh by the calder cup finals uh in, with coachella valley because yeah. i was able to watch some of those games and that's where his spot really was but he's been rotating in and out was not in the final power play looks at practice today uh kylo yamamoto was actually net front on that second unit um so maybe that's an indicator hey i mean he's he's i see the look on your face but he's pretty good at getting lost down there a lot the net front. It's not not the worst choice, but I could see Karche get some power play time uh, later this season, certainly if there's any injury issues uh, that the Kraken have with some of those guys. Um, So the second of the two, and and this one I I think I just felt the best for, because Joey Decord, I mean, it's his fifth year as a pro. As he was talking about, he said, I've been to a lot of training camps. I've gotten a lot of bad news. Just every year, he always ends up getting sent down somewhere, usually. Uh, But this year, he didn't. He made the team, he wins the backup goalie job, and uh, he was very happy to, to win that job and stay up at the NHL level. And he said that after all these years, it kind of puts things in perspective and, and thinking back to when he first came into the league and, and got some of those first games in the NHL, really without a proper training camp or anything. He said, I can't believe how unprepared I was. And looking back at it, you realize how unprepared you were for those moments, but he's finally really built that foundation. And I mean, he did everything you could possibly ask of him to earn this backup goalie job. Cause I thought Chris Drieger played pretty well too, mm-hmm. but Joey Decord left no doubt as to who should be the backup. Um, he, he, added a, a kobe bryant quote you know about uh, you know the consistency in your work effort and uh we were talking with them about his uh, some of his idols growing up sports wise who's the athlete you look up to the most i thought this was interesting he said number one has to be tom brady and of course being a boston kid makes sense right but he pointed out that tom brady of course was drafted 199th overall he was drafted pretty late in the nfl draft and uh so was joey actually joey was drafted 199th overall in the nhl draft so he always remembers that so i thought that was pretty cool
0: yeah no and i mean all that guy did was win so you know it's not the worst person to uh to maybe idolize (laughs) if you're a fellow professional athlete um i i'm with you right joey here in this spot i think we all kind of saw it with his play This is, and and his play last season too, right? Um, So I I don't know that there's too much that needs to be touched on there. I will just say this with both him and Ty Cartier. These are incredible NHL stories that, um, you know, there's a lot of big stories going on around the NHL right now. So I understand any one story or two stories getting lost just in the shuffle of the season starting. But I do just want to take a moment to appreciate how incredible both of their two journeys to this spot in time to them making this team out of training camp out of the preseason really really is because it's not something that you see every day uh that you'll see you know a a player like joey who has had to battle for so long and then finally gets there or a player like ty to to get there either so um i just want to take a moment to just you know hey let's all appreciate that as kraken fans that we get to experience both these both these you know guys live in the dream and and being able to do something that not a lot of people are able to do and and pull off.
1: Absolutely. Easy guys to root for both of them. Um, So those were kind of the roster bubble you know, uh, players that made the team. And so the opening night roster is pretty much taken shape and the lines are, are, you know, looking like something that we recognize. You know, you've got, uh, for the forwards, you've got McCann, Beniers, and Everly, uh, which we know from last season. We've got Schwartz, Wenberg, and Burakovsky. We saw that line a lot last season. We've got Tolvin and Gordon and Bjorkstrand. I mean, you know, we know what that trio can do. It's hard to break them up ever. Uh, and then that fourth line where you've got Tanev, Belmar, and then maybe kind of that rotation there between Karchi and Yamamoto. Uh, and then on defense, I mean, Dunn Larson, that's never going away, right? Yep. Uh, Alexiak borgen and then dumoulin Schultz, and and those are kind of the D pairs that we anticipated, really. And then uh, Jacob Megna is the extra. So uh, Grubauer and Decord in goal, it it all just kind of makes sense. No real surprises as far as anyone uh, making the roster. I think. No,
0: I I think this is you know this was the safe money bet right before training camp started that this is kind of, is basically what we would see, and we're gonna see it. And you know what, I I feel pretty good about it going into the to the start of the season
1: yeah i do too certainly after this last practice before the vegas game i mean it it just it looks solid and and everybody's healthy which is the biggest thing yep um and i I think they're ready to go now the last thing i want to talk about with the news and notes though is the power play we we teased it a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. um but that's something that i found really fascinating through training camp and and then um through the preseason and now looking at the power play really start to take shape for the regular season. Uh because as Hackstall said, tomorrow it's for real. Uh and it, it sure is. So um I got the chance to talk with uh, Jordan Eberly and, and Dave Haxtall about the power play this morning at practice. And um I was interested in some of uh, Jordan Eberly's answers because I just asked him about the power play unit and getting Berkey back and just kind of how he generally felt about it. And he gave me something interesting. He said, uh, one of the things they want to do is just try to be less stagnant and get some more player movement on the power play. And of course, Dylan, you know, this is something the (laughs) two of us have been uh, looking forward to over the last couple years and maybe hoping the Kraken would implement. And um, Eberly also mentioned, though, that one of the things that allows them to do that is just having that time together and those reps together which really not uh most teams generally have more experience with that he said you look at the best power plays in the league and they are guys who've been playing together for you know, almost 10 years sometimes and they just have that that sense of where the guys are going to be. You can make blind passes because you know where your teammate's going to be. You can move around in the zone because you know your teammate's going to cover for you and just having that experience together allows you to Im- incorporate more of that movement. So of course, I, I was happy with those comments about wanting more player movement there. So I, I asked Dave Haxtell about it and he did confirm that that is something that they are working on. Uh, and I, I did have to clarify because he's like you know he as a coach he's like well what do you mean do you mean like player movement do you mean like personnel moving in and out and uh, one of the things that i've noticed quite a bit on the top power play unit is that jared mccann and maddie Beniers were moving around kind of switching between each other's spots a lot Um, Jared McCann was actually playing in the bumper spot a lot today, but Maddie Beniers was also rotating in there as well. And Jared McCann was on the right side, but you also had Andre Burakovsky kind of moving around the formation. Occasionally they would switch. So a lot more player movement than what we're used to seeing. And, uh, Haxtell, as I said, did confirm that that is something they're working on, but, uh, did caution against trying to do too much or be perfect, too perfect, too early. He said, tomorrow's for real against Vegas. You don't want to try and do too much. But hopefully we start to see that progress a little bit more throughout the season because uh, the power play is an area that they need to get better at. i acknowledged that, and I think that's the main way that they're trying to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, i just so happy to just, kind of hear that like it's acknowledged right like that for me is just huge after the two years of power plays that we've seen uh kind of thing right and i'm not trying to be too down on it but like they've been bad we all know that um i think that's huge i i like hearing about the player movement about guys switching spots and and all that kind of stuff Um, the bottom line is I, I totally agree with Jordan Eberly, right? It's one thing when you've been playing together for a long time, you look at even just the difference in personnel on the power play from year one to year two for the Kraken, not a ton of those guys the same, right? Uh, you, you look at, you know, the additions of a Burakovsky or a Matty Beneers, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand, right? Like these are big names that, that really shift what the power play is, or even Justin Schultz taking over quarterbacking it from the back end. So, they you know this is really going to be their first time where we're going to see the power play carry over personnel wise from year 1 to from one year to another and i think that is going to be significant i think it's going to allow them to be more creative experiment a little bit more be a little bit more comfortable which which leads to those first two things i think that is big i definitely you know want to emphasize how how much i agree with jordan there um but it's just one of those things of look. If you are gonna have that player movement, one of the easier ways you can have that player movement um, and have everybody stay on the same page before they know everybody's you know intricacies to to what they want to do and, and where they're gonna you know exactly be is just have some set plays of just hey if the puck is here we're you know if it goes into say the right side corner we want whoever our right side half board player is to really drop down we want our net front guy to drop behind the net to be available for a pass there to cycle it around, but also bumper roll. Hey, guess what? Come slide in more closer to net front and maybe be available for a pass there. And just let everybody know that, hey, if you are in that spot, right, if you shift over into that spot because everybody's moving around, understand that that is your role, right? And that's just an example of a play that doesn't need to actually happen. But um, I think if you if you can do that, so everybody knows like based on certain situations, if I'm playing in the bumper, this is what I'm supposed to do. I think you can kind of cheat some of that chemistry stuff a little bit, uh, just because you know it's planned. Everybody's on the same page still without having to have played together for nearly a decade. Um, so I, I, I'm interested to see if we start seeing some of that kind of stuff, or maybe I'm maybe I'm pushing it a little too much too soon, uh, which hack's was trying to warn me about there, RJ
1: yeah i think that might have been you know direct he didn't say dylan at the end of it but uh it was implied detective picking it
0: (laughs) definitely definitely but definitely exciting stuff there for from the power play i think all right and then as we transition over into the deep dive segment of the podcast rj where we're going to be answering everybody's questions from that uh the, the mailbag that we did first off we gotta you know we got a we got a plug comedy show that we talked about a little bit last week. It's it's getting closer everybody. There are tickets still available from what I understand. So want to want to talk about that.
1: That's right. There are tickets still available to the Hat Tricks post-game comedy show. Uh, It's at the Angry Beaver. Uh, They've got a fantastic lineup of comedians, uh, people from Bumbershoot, Edinburgh Fringe, lots of different comedy festivals. Uh, And of course, each date has a different lineup, so you can go to multiple shows, it'll all be different. Uh, And it's for nights where uh, the East Coast hockey games, it's only East Coast hockey games, they're over early, so you can stay, watch the East Coast hockey games come for the comedy show afterward. It's going to be great. Uh, there are three dates, Monday, October 16th, Monday, October. So that one's coming up. That's less than a week yeah. away. Uh, Monday October 23rd and then Friday November 3rd starts around 8 o'clock or so barring overtime of course in those Eastern Conference NHL games tickets are $7 each or two for $10 you will not get a lineup that good for that price anywhere else uh, tickets are online or at the door but it's recommended to get them online ahead of time make sure you secure your tickets and of course we'll have a ticket link for you in the podcast description.
0: Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, just wanted to say this was all brought to our attention from, you know, ECH community members who are also a part of this. So just, you know, know that you're helping out uh, the ECH community as well by by going. Um, all right, RJ. So mailbag time. Lots of questions as we approach the beginning of the Kraken's third season. And uh, we're we're here to try to answer everybody's questions.
1: <laughs> That's right. Lots of good questions. Yes, but lots of good questions too. I, I'm always amazed when we put out the mailbag, yeah. uh, just how many good questions that we get uh, and how much it gives us to talk about things that, you know, even we probably wouldn't have thought of or talked about otherwise. But uh, great questions, everybody. Thank you to everyone who answered uh, the call for the mailbag.
0: Definitely, definitely. I mean, hey, one of the things we've always done with Emerald City Hockey is is try to make it as community focused and based as possible um, and and involve everybody. Right. Uh, You know, yes you know you're the the one there right with the credentialed access and everything but we want everybody to feel as close to the team as possible you know through us whether it's it's talking to us in the post game lives or or doing mailbags like this just always being available on social media or on the discord right and so this is just another way of of doing that and it's it's my favorite thing that we do right communicating with the community it's the best
1: Absolutely. All right. Shall we dive in, Dylan? Yes.
0: Let us let us deep dive into the into the community mailbag here, RJ. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, well done. So um, we'll start off. First question here from Nathan. Uh, it seems like a foregone conclusion that Vegas and Edmonton will be at the top of the Pacific Division. What must the Kraken do to give them a run for their money? What do you think, Dylan?
0: Um, well, the easiest solution would be to build a time machine, go back to eh, probably around 2011 create the expansion team then and end up with one of the top two picks in the 2015 NHL draft and have either Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel, RJ. That's my, that's, that's the easiest answer. I, I feel like, um, but realistically look, the Kraken are are building towards what both of those two teams have, whether it's the elite top end talent of, the Edmonton Oilers and, and McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, blah, 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 you know, goes on and on. Or it's just, you know, having this really solid foundation of how a team plays, you know, in Vegas's case, attacking through transition and really building around that core philosophy and, and having just a, a, a rock solid lineup top to bottom. Um, I think the Kraken are probably closer and more in the mold of that, given the depth that they have and the way everybody plays together. Um But it's just, it's just one of those things of, you know, you're talking about two of the top five-ish teams in the NHL. Like it's just, it's, it's hard to get there for everybody. Um, and it's one of those things where it ebbs and flows. The, the Kraken are still building up towards that. At some point, those teams are going to, you know, age out and start to get a little worse. Um, but I, I, think the Kraken are already on the right path, just, you know, drafting well, bringing in young players, getting them ready to go, like with what they're doing with Shane Wright and Riker Evans. And, you know, they're, they're slowly getting there, RJ.
1: I think you correctly point out, it takes time to build a team like that, that really is a true cup contender. And um, the Kraken probably need, you know, just a little bit more time or a time machine, you know, if you can find a way to procure one, Um, but really, yeah, it takes time. And I think in the near term, you know, what you can do to give them a run for their money. Cause looking at the standings last year, Vegas wins the division with 111 points Kraken down at hundred Edmonton with one Oh nine. And that is the difference of, you know, maybe five, six games or so. Right. Yeah. but the, the easiest way to kind of chip away at that right away is just to take points off of those teams when you face them. Because they're in the division, you are going to play them multiple times. And those are the important games where you can have big swings of points like that. Every game, the standings always end up pretty close just because of the parity we see in the nhl every year and so at the end of the year a potential four-point swing between winning in regulation or losing in regulation can make a big difference in the standings and it starts tomorrow you play against vegas tomorrow that's your chance to have a potential four-point swing against them in the standings if you can get within striking distance so really it's it's playing well against those teams i mean we saw the kraken lose twice to edmonton in the preseason it's getting to that level where you're looking a little better against some of those top teams
0: yeah no i think that's a that's an excellent point you make and hey how do you pick up a game here or there throughout the course of a season with movement on the power play just gonna throw that last time the answer to every question
1: right <laughs> yes
0: no, last <laughs> time i promise everybody but really good All question. Right, well-
1: yeah. Well, I know you can tie it in this next one. Let's try and avoid it. But this one from Kraken for life. Is there reason to be at least a little concerned about goal scoring this season? Uh, can you give me the one word answer, Dylan?
0: Uh, I think so, actually. Like, yes. Is that a one? word answer?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think that would be the one word answer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think there's a little bit of a reason to, to worry about it, just because we saw such huge leaps from year one to year two for the Kraken, that anytime you see something jump like that from, from one season to another, you have to question, okay, how much of that is for real? Did they maybe, you know, were they maybe under what they should have been year one, but maybe a little over year two? I just think it's it's one of those things the scoring is really, really hard. And I, I, yes, I have to bring up the power play. If the power play is better, they can score at the same rate, if not even better. But I think, as far as what they were able to do last year, you know, they, they had a fourth line that was a little more offensively focused. I think this fourth line is a little more defensively focused, a little bit more about grinding things out. I think long term, that is the correct choice. I think that helps you come playoff time. Um, but it is something where you're not going to have Daniel Sprong or Morgan Geeky on the fourth line contributing you know, 10, 20 goals uh, the way that you were used to from last season. So I do think that their overall goal total will probably take a little bit of a hit.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. And I think we've, we've seen some indicators of it a little bit in the preseason, especially that dress rehearsal game against Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are going to have players like Jared McCann who have exceptional shots we are going to shoot higher than the percentages would indicate that maybe they should. Um, but you look overall at the, at the crack in shooting percentage last season, and just on the whole, it's probably not sustainable. Yeah. And you're going to have to find ways to make up for that, manufacture those goals, uh, special teams is going to be part of that mm-hmm. and, and you may see a little bit of a bump there but i think there's certainly reasons you could be concerned i think any concern is legitimate um but there are ways of kind of busting out of that as well
0: yeah and i think concern is the is the word probably right because we just don't know yeah. we haven't had a game yet but we're not to the level of worry or panic so i, I think concern is maybe a, a that's where we are on the be. meter right now yeah yep. yeah definitely <laughs>
1: All right. So next question from Gary, uh, kind of related to this. Several guys had career years last season. Expecting a few may regress. Where do you anticipate that regression to come from? Do you expect anyone to surpass their stats from last season? Uh, Jared
0: McCann is the name that comes to mind for me, RJ. (laughs) We talked about it throughout last season, but uh, that 19% shooting percentage I don't know that anybody's ever been able to replicate that year to year. Uh, so I, I do think that we're going to see a dip in shooting for McCann. Now, that doesn't need to mean a dip in goals if he decides to become mm-hmm. a little bit more of a volume shooter. He only had 210 shots last year to get his 40 goals. You and I have seen RJ guys take upwards of 300 plus shots in season. So it doesn't mean that McCann has to score less than 40 goals just because the shooting percentage goes down. But that is the, the one that just like the moment I read this question was
1: like screaming at me, right? Right. Definitely. I mean, and you can replicate those numbers, but if you do, it's going to look different. And I think that's something mm-hmm. you have to keep in mind when you're watching the Kraken is uh, that that guys are going to have to maybe change the way that they produce a little bit. Um, and, and same thing with like the fourth line that you mentioned earlier, where you're not going to have a Daniel Sprong shooting over 14% as a fourth liner, but you, you are going to maybe have an opportunity for a guy like Ty Cartier mm-hmm. to go in there and, and with his style, you know, potentially put up even 15 goals or so. If he gets get some opportunity there, you know, maybe on the power play too. So it's just going to look different. You're going to have it in different ways. Um, as for anyone expected to surpass their stats from last season, I think you're going to see a little bit more progression from Maddie Beniers, as you would expect from a guy going from age 20 to 21. Um, um, i think uh, oliver bjorkstrand is the is the one that stands out to me certainly uh, because he was fighting it for a little bit last season was getting pretty unlucky and you could see that in the shooting percentage he figured it out at the end of last season i expect that momentum to just carry on over into this season um but that's that's my clear pick for someone to uh to exceed their numbers from last year
0: i i, I... I think those are two excellent choices. I mean, you know, you could say like a Burakovsky just because you hope he's healthy all year. Um, But I (laughs) think I think those are the two guys to watch. Definitely. I'll just throw in on the first category just to kind of reiterate. Also, similar to the Jared McCann situation, Vince Dunn. Um, He had 14 even strength goals last year. That's pretty hard to repeat as a defenseman. But hey, guess what? He had zero on the power play, right? If he works well with the power play, the new look power play, everybody starts moving around. He could still end up with around 14 goals. It's just that they're not going to all be five on five. Right. They're not you know, you're going to see some hopefully come from the power play. That's, that's definitely something we would like to see anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that's the theme. It's possible, but it's going to look different if, if exactly. guys do repeat those numbers. Yep. Uh, next question also from Gary uh, with Chris Drieger uh, on the last year of his contract and clearing waivers. Is the team able to make a trade with him being in Coachella Valley? Uh, So the short answer is yes, Uh, Ron Francis can, you know, if he gets an offer for Chris Drieger, could trade him at any point between now and the trade deadline. uh, And that would work just like a normal trade if he was on the Kraken roster. Uh, That's not an issue at all.
0: Well said, Mr. Armchair GM Stream. (laughs)
1: yep that's right armchair gm stream's coming up this is a good warm-up for it you know um and you can ask me about drieger trade scenarios and i think you know tampa still needs a goalie and Mm -hmm. maybe we can map some of those things out in a couple days uh next question uh from lena what are your top three kraken games to watch in full this first half of the season and why? Asking for sleep-deprived non-North Americans. Now, I can see you have the, the EU flag in your bio there, Lena, so I'm going to assume you're in Europe, uh, and, and for that reason, I've gone with some games that hopefully uh, won't be too difficult for you sleep-wise.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've chosen a couple too. Is it cheating, RJ, if for the first one, I just say tomorrow night, the season opener against the Vegas Golden Knights?
1: Not not cheating at all. That count. I yeah. don't have it as one of my three. So there's as long as there's no right. overlap there.
0: Well, I was gonna say that's that's the first of mine. I don't know if you want to eat have have me say all three of mine or if we want to alternate it all. But my my first one is look. It's opening night. They're raising their banner. And hey, what a better team to kind of see where the Kraken are at than the defending Stanley Cup champions, right? Like I just think that's that's got to be must watch.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to be looking at that very closely, too. I think it's a good measuring stick game for the Kraken to kind of see where they're at at this point, even though Dave Haxtell definitely gave me some pushback on that today. So there's no measuring stick. It's just two points. You know, We're worried about ourselves, all the usual talking points. But I do think there is an element there of uh, of being a measuring stick game. And even Jordan Eberly mentioned it, uh, you know admitting that there is a little bit of it, wanting to kind of spoil yeah. the other team's uh, parade there uh, with them doing the banner raising. So that's a good one to watch uh what what are your other two dylan let's just go three for you and then three for me
0: all right my my second one actually happens a week after tomorrow and that is their first game against colorado after that you know intense first round playoff series that we saw last year and i promise i'm not just picking all these games in october uh but i just (laughs) think that one is going to be must watch just because if if we're ever going to see like you know non-goal scoring fireworks in a game i think that's going to be the game because you know we had the whole uh kale mccarr hit on jared mccann there was of course jordan eberle on cogliano uh with that you know potential boarding call that ended up breaking cogliano's neck and i think that colorado is still going to be upset that they lost that series they're going to be upset at everything that went down i think there's still room for the kraken to be upset about some things as well and i just think you know some stuff might go down at cpa on the 17th of this month rj i I think i think it just might and i think it's going to be a must watch
1: all right. So I, we were thinking in a similar way a little bit for one of my games. So I'll, I'll get to that when you're done with your third game.
0: All right. And then for my third game, I'm actually going to the next month. And, you know, you can pick whichever time works better for you. But whether it's November 11th or November 15th against the Oilers, I think those are going to be really good games. I think all the games against the Oilers are going to be ones worth t- tuning into for a lot of the reasons that we talked about a few questions ago, which is look, they're one of the few teams that we, you know, solidly place at the top of the division division. And as you mentioned, these are your opportunities to steal points from them, to have those four point swing games. And I think that, you know, they're they're just also a good litmus test as far as Hey, can we play well and keep up with a team using our special teams? Can we defend well against, you know, the best player in the world? Can we score uh, and keep up with them? So I just think a lot of the questions that we have had about the Kraken through years one and two, we still have about them year three. And I think playing the Oilers is a great time to kind of get answers to some of those questions.
1: Yeah, that stretch is going to be intense. And that's why my first game comes from that stretch of four games uh, November 9th, 11th, 13th, and 15th. It's at Colorado. At home against Edmonton, at home against Colorado, and then at Edmonton. So four games, two each against the Oilers and the Avs. And I went with November 13th against Colorado uh, because that'll be their second game against Colorado in four days. It'll be their third game against Colorado in the very young season at that point. And I think that... I, you know, it might have escalated to rivalry status by that point, depending on what goes on in those previous two games. I think already it, by that point, people are going to know it's going to be must-watch TV. And uh, it, of course, it takes place in it, um, in Seattle. It'll be 7 p.m. So hopefully, it's it's not too bad for you timing-wise. I tried to avoid all the East Coast start mm-hmm. games, so these will be three home games that I picked. So uh, the next game is December 9th at home against Tampa Bay. 7 o'clock start time, Pacific time. Uh, And the reason I picked this one is that the Kraken have never beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's been a team they've always struggled against. And the Lightning always play a a strong, disciplined game. You're not going to get away with any kind of subpar effort against them. I expect that to be the same this year, even with Andre Vasilevsky probably still out at that point, uh, going to be missing that part of the season. But I think it's going to be a challenge for them as well and see if they can get their first ever win against Tampa. Uh, And then the final game that I picked is, and this is probably my game where I'm like, is it cheating? But uh, the winter classic against the Vegas golden Knights, you know, the opponent is of course the defending cup champs. Uh, But I think for you, the big reason to watch it too is that it starts at noon Pacific, which should be eight or 9 PM for you. Hopefully you don't have to stay up too late to watch that game. I think the timing is going to work out perfectly for you.
0: Yeah. I, 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 i'll allow it not that like there's actual rules about this i stopped at the end of the year (laughs) because you know the question was first half but yes the bottom line is also the winter classic game it's just going to be a must watch for the celebration of seattle hockey that we're all expecting it to be and and everything too it's just such an important game for this franchise to have um i i just think it's it's must watch for for so many reasons but yes the timing definitely helps i think (laughs)
1: Yeah, Kraken fan or not, I think that one's a must-watch game. And it is game number 38 out of 82, so it is in the first half of the season. All right, all right. I went with the way the question was worded, so Mm -hmm. uh, we've got that. All right, next question uh, from AJ. What one thing will play the biggest role in the Kraken's success or failure this season? So can we pinpoint one area, Dylan, that we think is going to be most important? It's difficult. This is a tough question.
0: I said I wouldn't mention the power play again, but like... (laughs)
1: It's, go it, ahead. Go ahead. It's fair look, game here.
0: The Kraken have proven that they are a deep team, that they are a team that can hang with with just about everybody and that they can be a playoff team and they can make waves in the playoffs. They did all of that, despite the fact that they've had just one of the worst Power plays in the NHL both years of their existence. And it's one of those that, hey, look, if other guys are going to start to regress or if goal scoring as a whole regresses a little, that's not only where you can just make up for that, but you can even improve on last year's goal total, but do it in a more sustainable way. And so I I have to say the power play because... How many games did we watch them lose last year, RJ, by a goal or maybe two goals if there was an empty netter, but they went 0 for three on the power play. They went 0 for four on the power play. Right. Like that's the one thing that if they are able to turn it around and I'm not even saying they need to be top five. But if they could just even get to league average, I think that that adds six points, if not more, to just the the standings for you like that's not insignificant so i i just i have to say the power play even though i promised i wouldn't sorry everybody
1: It's right. And and if you didn't say the power play, you know what I would have, because (laughs) I think that is such an important area for all the reasons you said, but I'm going to try and pick something else and I'm going to go with depth scoring and particularly that fourth line scoring, Uh, because it made such a big difference for the Kraken last season. Um, If you look at guys like Daniel Sprong, Ryan Donato, Morgan Geeky, the production that they were able to have um, combining for 40 wait, uh, let's see 20, yeah, 44 goals between the three of them. Right. I mean, that's something you're going to have to replace somewhere now, whether it's guys like an Oliver Bjorkstrand, we talked about earlier, scoring a little bit more, or, you know, maybe the power play, figuring it out. There are other ways to, to make that up. But I think the fourth line is the new look fourth line is still going to have to contribute this year. And I think that is a question mark for the crack. And you take those goals away. You take those, especially the timely goals last Mm -hmm. season, the fourth line would provide and I don't know the Kraken are really on the edge of that playoff bubble so I think it's the kind of thing they're going to have to figure out a way around.
0: Yeah, what you don't think Jared McCann can just pick up that slack RJ and have an 84 goal season?
1: You know what? I mean, <laughs> if his we we theorized, right, that his shooting percentage, we always expect it to regress and it always goes up. Yep. So it's regressing into the clouds if that happens, then uh, then I think we're good.
0: Yeah, uh and just a a quick shout out you know if a goaltender could maybe have a 900 save percentage that would that could maybe do it too
1: you know i've kind of given up on that i'm sorry <laughs> no because i look i explained this when we did the over-unders yeah i think kraken goalies they can play perfectly well and do everything they need yep. to do and the save percentage is still going to be like 895 that's just a product of the system i like i don't even really judge them for that anymore i'm just going off the eye test or at least like you know goals saved above expected or something i've i've kind of given up on that already
0: it's fair it's the system it's not the goalies
1: yeah as long as we can acknowledge that um so those those are kind of our factors for this season uh next question here and this is a little bit of a different type of question this is from daniel and uh he's asking for kind of an explanation on icing and, and how icing works and, and why icing is there. He said, every explanation I've ever heard of about icing deals with the offensive and defensive player racing for the puck as it gets dumped into the zone. If the D-man wins, icing is called. Uh, but no one's explained to me why during situations like a you know, six on five end of the game or everyone's at the other end of the ice, puck gets sent all the way down. Uh, there's nobody to deliver a big hit or, or anything to contest that puck. Why is icing still called?
0: Yeah, well, in that specific situation, just to, I guess, start at the end of the question, um, it's still important because not only does the clock stop, but also then the faceoff comes all the way back. And so it's it's just there to keep teams from, you know, it's, it's there to help make the end of the game exciting, right? You have a team with a goalie pulled. You, you don't want the other team just to throw the puck down the ice and everybody's got to waste 20 seconds while they go chase it and then bring it all the way back down the ice. You want there to be offensive possession. You want that excitement if you're the NHL because hey guess what you want your team to feel like they're in it all the way to the end that keeps you around watching the games that helps themselves add space late in the game so <laughs> that's you know <laughs> not to get too uh out there with the answer but that's that's why you want want icing in in those situations um and and then i'll let you maybe take the first part of the question
1: right and, and so in general yeah icing also just tends to slow down the game. If you, if you were just allowed to do it with impunity, so it's to discourage teams from dumping the puck all the way down and, and making a a penalty, you know, a, a disadvantage for doing so, not a penalty, but you know what I mean? Um, and then as far as, as about the players racing into the puck and, and trying to, you know, win those situations, the NHL did switch to hybrid icing, uh, I was going to say a few years ago, but it's probably longer ago than that now. Um, But it used to be where just the first player to touch the puck was the guy who kind of won the race. So if it was the defending player, icing would be called if it was not icing would be waved off, but that did cause a lot of injuries, guys crashing into the boards Mm -hmm. going for that puck. And so as a result, the NHL switched to hybrid icing where it is a race to those uh, face-off dots. And at that point, they call the winner there. Or if it's a, you know, it's a tie, it goes to the defender um, going back for icing. So that's why they switched to hybrid icing to reduce some injuries there. Uh, and that's why the rule is the way it is now.
0: Yeah, and the bottom line is icing just exists so that if a team goes up one nothing, they can't just dump the puck all the way down the ice endlessly, you know, as a defensive strategy and just burn a bunch of time and make the game very unwatchable. I think that yeah,
1: that would be no fun for anybody yeah,
0: to watch. That's ultimately why it's there. But, right. but good question.
1: Yep. Good question, Daniel. So next question from Nicole. And uh, I want to give you a shot at this one first, Dylan. What do we have to do to convince Haxtell to let Adam Larson be in the shootout? I mean, what do you think? I'll let Dylan give a fun answer. I'll give the serious answer. Was Go gonna, ahead.
0: I was going to say, besides like, you know, I, I just don't even know. I'm trying to think at this point, RJ. I just don't know that there's a, 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 a large enough sum of money that could be offered at least not on the Emerald City <laughs> Hockey budget, uh, but yeah, I, certainly I, not. Yes. Um, so I was trying to think of like you know every year when they do the um, when the players and the coaching staff put together the charity baskets, right? That everybody mm-hmm. can auction on and everything. I was trying to think of what Hackstall kind of tends to put in there. There's always like you know a gift certificate f- to to like a fancy steakhouse. Maybe some golfing stuff. So I'm, I'm guessing it would have Wakeboard, to.
1: Wakeboard, too. He loves to go out yes, on the lake.
0: That's true. So it would have to involve something like that. It might have to be like an all day type thing where, you know, you wake up, you play around the golf, then you go out on the lake and then you end with a nice dinner, right? A nice steak dinner somewhere. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to have to be along the lines there. And you know what? As, as you do, you, you shouldn't really push it or really even talk about it at all while you're doing that. But they understand that that's what you're lobbying for, right? Like, it was all set up with that understanding. You don't bring it up. You just have a great time golfing, right? You talk about everything but hockey. But, you know, that's, that's the appropriate way to lobby, in my opinion.
1: Okay, so you think like implied way. bribery is the way to yeah. go about it, though that's the Okay, like, hey,
0: we're just hanging out like, Hey, you know, I've I've made this an issue in the past, right? Maybe you do this right after there was a time to have done it and it didn't happen and it didn't work, right? And so, you know, you you do something along that. But I don't think a, a hard sell at the end of the night over dinner or something like that, or all, while you're out there on the wakeboards and you're like, you know, swapping out who's gonna be on that, who's driving the boat or something, you don't just go like, Hey, you know what? I think you should try Larson on the power on the the shootout I, I think that's a that's a bad way of doing it
1: yeah so we learned that was a mistake when I think somebody in the media suggested like hey would you go to Adam Larson in the shootout after uh he had that great breakaway movie he's like no No, I'm not going to do that. So um, I I think the serious answer is just to make a shootout go like 15 or more rounds. The point where he doesn't have an option, really. Then he's only choosing the defenseman. And maybe at some point Adam Larson would come up.
0: So what you're saying is it might be easier to bribe the players on the Kraken and all of the players on the other team to just not score in a shootout to get it to the point where we then see Adam Larson?
1: Now that I think about it, I do think that would be easier, actually. I I think bribing like, you know. 40 something NHL players is probably easier than bribing Dave Haxtell.
0: I would agree with that. Yep.
1: All right. So we have that sorted, Nicole. Hopefully that's a satisfactory answer for you. (laughs) Um, Next question here from uh, Juan the Baker. How much should we be reading into Maddie not being signed long-term yet? So I guess there's a couple different ways you could look at this, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I've heard some people on social media saying, well, should we be worried about potentially losing Maddie at some point? Uh, that shouldn't be worried about at all. Kraken have his rights for a long time, you know, up until age yeah. 27. That's not a concern at all. He loves it here. That's not an issue. But, you know, as far as, you know, maybe Maddie wanting to wait or maybe trying to hold out for some more money, how, how worried should we be about that?
0: You know, if if we weren't in a situation where so many teams and players were waiting on, you know, what the news we got just a a couple days ago, which was about the salary cap and what the early projections are for next year, with everybody understanding that at some point the new television rights contract was going to hit in and the cap was going to jump. But nobody knew how much I think if we weren't in that scenario and this was all playing out the way it is, I would be I would maybe be concerned or even worried about it. But given the whole overall situation of nobody knowing what the future of the cap was going to be, but knowing that it was going to go up, just not not having any specifics, I think it it makes sense for a young, you know, star borderline superstar player like Matty Beniers coming off of winning Rookie of the Year, all that stuff, to not rush into a contract uh, that might then look bad a month later if they announce what the salary cap's going to be the following year. So I think now that teams are going to have, they at least have like a ballpark to start working around in as far as what that cap jump is going to be. If Maddie is the kind of guy that is okay with negotiating during the season, not all players are, but if he is, I think we could start seeing, you know, them working towards a contract extension soon. Otherwise, I, I'm just not worried about it because I just think that that was a very big variable that nobody really knew. And it, and it makes sense. And it's just Maddie, you know, looking out for himself in the best way possible, I think, um, by not rushing into an extension there and, and kind of holding out for that number to be known.
1: Yeah, we talked about this on the red glare podcast late last week right about why it just makes sense for some of these players to wait on these numbers to come out uh it's just the smart thing to do and so yeah i'm not worried about it probably for the same reason that you are um i think eventually of course they'll get a deal done um I don't have any information to really, it's just kind of a, a vibe, right? I, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who wants to be thinking about that stuff during the season. Yeah. He's just very focused, very driven. So even if it does you know, go toward later this season or, or even into this next off season, I won't be particularly worried. Um, but yeah, th- they'll get a deal done. I'm I'm not concerned about it.
0: Yep, definitely.
1: All right. Now it's prospect time, Dylan. You ready? I know this is what you've been looking forward to. We had a lot of prospect-based questions Mm -hmm. um and we'll start off with a couple here uh one from dj singletone which of course to get a it's an honor to get a prospect question from dj singletone probably knows better than we do these prospects uh but he asks who are your top three most intriguing prospects and then we'll uh, throw this one in here from gaby also excluding ahl guys who are a few prospects you'll be especially keeping an eye on this year and what do you want to see improvement from each of them on over the year so dylan Three most intriguing prospects, and, and I hear they, they may uh, all not be in the AHL.
0: That's right. So I can answer both questions with the same three players. Um, the, first, the first prospect that I'm most intrigued by is actually Yadi Newman. Um, because he has made such incredible strides, the, the the little bit that we're able to see from him, whether it was at the World Junior Championship last uh, December or it was at depth camp uh, earlier uh, in the off season that just passed, but I think Yanni Newman has, you know, we we've all known that he has the scoring touch right he he can shoot the puck like crazy he can handle the puck even pretty well um and then he's got the size right we're we're talking about just a, a huge huge guy i'm trying to see what he's um listed at right now if the page loads 64207 oh, so he's always had the size the big concern has always been skating and his ability to get to the spots that he wants to be or needs to be in and what i saw from him at the world junior championships last year and what i saw from him at dev camp is that he has taken leaps massive leaps, you know, Yanni Newman, six, four level leaps uh, in his skating ability and his ability to move around. And we're seeing that with the early results that we're seeing from him in Liga, the the highest professional league in Finland, where he's got eight points through 11 games, which, For those of you who don't follow Finnish professional hockey, that's a very, very, very good point total through that amount of games for anybody, much less a young guy who is still developing and still working on something that is, you know, as fundamental as skating. And so I'm really, really intrigued by Yanni Newman and what we might see from him in the future. Another one, I I, I actually went forward uh, defenseman goaltender here, RJ, which is, I think, interesting. Uh, The defenseman, care to guess, RJ? Is it Lucas Dragosivic? It is Lucas Dragosivic. <laughs> uh, because, look, this is a guy who, similar to Yanni Newman, where we knew kind of what he needs to work on. is newer player to the position, but just tons and tons of potential unbelievable amounts of potential and i think you know really people who watch prospect all around hockey are going to be keeping an eye on him just to see what his development looks like this year with tri-city um as he you know kind of shifts from from learning things and focusing on that offense to maybe you know working on things defensively which is really where he needs to improve but every based on everything he's shown through all the transitions he's made and and everything that he's had to work on the kid is special and he's going to be able to work on that defensive stuff. The question is just, you know, how high that ceiling really is for him there. Um, I think it might actually be fairly high because he's he has such a high hockey IQ once he just learns to, to learn what to look for defensive, defensively and while defending. I think he's going to be able to put it all together and he's just going to be a phenomenal player. And I think this year is really going to be the year where, you know, you at least want to see the foundations of that defending um, from him. And then finally... Nicholas Coco. I mean, he's, he's, I think, you know, not debatable. He's the top crack in goaltending prospect. And normally goaltending prospects don't excite me as much as everybody else because I just don't know as much about goaltending. It's kind of its own thing. Um, But just the fact that this year he's going to see significant, you know, amount of minutes in Liga, which is, you know... (laughs) Arguably, RJ, the league that has produced the most, you know, rock solid NHL goaltenders anywhere in the world. And so the fact that he's already, you know, he's, he's got a 201 goals against average and a 906 save percentage through two games there. Um, he, he just he looks good. He's he's working in a goalie factory there. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see if he can kind of take that next next step Um as and then maybe show up to maybe next year's dev camp just looking like a guy where you really see like wow the the Kraken have their future goaltender here.
1: Yeah, I, he's going to be an interesting one to watch. I think those are three really good picks. Um, so for me, knowing that you were going with some uh, you know with some non AHL guys, I think I went a little bit more uh, Firebird heavy. Um, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll start for you know for Gabby's question, just somebody who's who's not on the Firebirds yet, and this might be a little too easy or obvious, but Edward Chalet, just yeah. seeing how he adapts to the North American game, playing for the Barry Colts and the OHL, just seeing him make that jump from Europe to North America, I think is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, and, and so I, I want to see what he's able to do there and, and just how quickly he's able to look comfortable too. Cause I think it's just, as as guys like yeah, as Ron Francis has pointed out like with Shane Wright and others it's just this whirlwind in your draft year when you're a first round draft pick it's a very busy summer and and you don't really have time to kind of settle in so I want to see Chalet just get settled in North America and figure some things out um, but as for the the three most intriguing prospects um, I'll start with oh um, you know you went with Coco I'll start with another Finn uh, and that is uh, Billy Ottavainen and he's someone who stood out to me during training camp, uh, first and foremost, just because of his size. I mean, he was towering over the other prospects. I mean, and and he, you know, he's, uh, I don't know what his listed height and weight are, but man, he is a giant out there. And um, I guess I think he's going to go play in Coachella Valley this year. And I really want to see how he adapts to the pro game in North America. Cause he played in Finland uh, basically until last season. So he's going to be going to North America for the first time. And he has the size. He has the frame to really be a menace, especially defending in front of his own net. I don't think he really fully has that mean streak yet, but I think he's going to develop it. He he really kind of needs to develop it. I think because look, he's not so much of a puck mover. He's more of a defensive stay at home type defenseman, but he's the kind of guy who I think on a third pairing in the NBA, NHL eventually could just be hell to play against. And I want to see the start of that uh, in his age 21 season here in Coachella Valley.
0: Yeah. AHL is a great place to learn some of that, too, by the way, for anybody oh, yeah. who's watched any <laughs> amount of time of that level of hockey. Listed at 6'5, 216 there for you.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. 6'5, 216. I mean, he just towers over some of these guys. Uh, so the second player I want to look at is um, Ryan Winterton. And uh, I'm another guy who I'm really intrigued to see how he's going to adjust the pro game. But one thing I know for sure after watching him in training camp and, and dev camp, the guy's ready for it. I mean, he ha- absolutely has the talent. He should be there, and, and I'm intrigued to see what he can do with the Firebirds. He's someone who I could see maybe even like a like a Ty Cartier type rise, where he could just keep going up the depth chart because he has the size and the ability to produce. And just if he can stay healthy, that's the other thing. Just seeing how he does, you know, for for a full season healthy would be uh, would be really great to see. But I think he's someone that that could kind of sneakily light it up in the AHL uh, early
0: yeah i was gonna say he was uh might be an answer to one of the future questions we have to answer
1: (laughs) oh okay okay a little a little uh preview there and then the third guy is uh jacob melanson and he just stood out during the preseason. of course he is the kraken's future pest uh if he can just get there skill wise to be able to produce enough to where it projects at the nhl level that he can just be a a passable fourth liner, right? Mm -hmm. The other side to his game, the other things that he brings uh, are just so valuable in the way that hockey works, especially in like a playoff series type environment. He can be a pest. He can go out there and score a goal too. We've seen the junior production from him uh, be good enough that, that it hints that maybe he could have some NHL potential, but uh, the real indicator is going to be how he does in the AHL. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. Um, Just, I think he might be of all these guys, you know, that were maybe later round draft draft picks, the one who is closer to the NHL than a lot of people think just because of the the pest element that he brings.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very curious to, you know, as I am with all prospects leaving the queue, uh, how they translate to the next <laughs> level and especially the fact that he's going to be in the AHL. It's a league that should play into his strengths. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what that looks like.
1: Yeah, he's not going to shy away from that stuff at all. Uh, next question from Hunter: Which Kraken prospect do you think is being underrated by the national media and/or fans? All of them. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of attention paid to Kraken prospects in the national media, just given that they're a relatively new West Coast team. Yeah, um, I
0: think, the, yeah, I, I think Chalet is probably a good one, just because he is a first-round pick, but it's a little further down in a very loaded draft class. But even headed into the draft, I didn't feel like he was somebody who quite got the credit that he deserved just because of you know, where he came from. He wasn't coming from one of the more popular situations for, for draft prospects. It's not an easy league for fans or, or or people to watch out there in Czechia and stuff. So I think he he just was a guy who was flying under the radar the entire time. And then on top of that, he gets drafted to a West Coast team, right? Like he, he just really falls off the face of the planet at that point um, for, for a lot of people. Uh, so I think Chalet might actually be the guy that I pick with, especially because I really expect him to, to – as he gets comfortable in the OHL really put up some good numbers. We're already seeing the early results as he has four assists through four games. So, um, I, I think he's somebody who, who could really pop up, pop into the OHL, put up some big numbers and everybody's going to go like, where'd this guy come from? What's going on there? You know?
1: I think that's a good answer. I mean, I, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I can't think of another, I mean, I think, yeah, just not a lot of attention is necessarily paid in the national media and, and fans to crack in prospects. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't really have anybody here. I, I'll, like, I'll look, give you a think...
0: second one if you want. Uh, and that would be Carson, okay, ahead. Carson Rykoff right? Like he's, oh, he's yeah. someone who has a very interesting tool set um, out there. He's, he's got five points through five games to start the season with the Kitchener Rangers, but you look at his ability to defend and especially defend against a transition game, which, you know, all the successful NHL teams uh, have and, and want to use against you. And you look at him with his long reach and his ability to, to defend against, you know, from coming from behind guys, which is a very difficult thing to do. And now that he's adding some more scoring to his game, I I think he's another one to watch that nobody really talks about.
1: Okay, and and the, I think reason I didn't mention him too is I I don't know that I fully buy in yet. I, I probably just need to watch more of his junior tape, but like through training camp or whatever, I I just. I don't know. I it it didn't all kind of get put together, but I I see the toolbox that he has. I see the skills there. I probably just need to watch him play a little bit more. I
0: was gonna say he's a he's a second round pick from this latest draft class. He's three to four years away from yeah, a, yeah. that kind of stuff that's, anyway. That's, right. Like, that's a good point. That's yeah. a
1: good point. Just you know, give him some time and some coaching. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Let's see. Uh I mean this one from Eric, we kinda covered which Coachella Valley prospect are you most interested in following this year? Um, but I guess Dylan, you didn't you didn't name any uh firebirds as your three. So uh which yeah. firebird are you looking most forward it's, to? It
0: is Ryan Winterton, like for for all the reasons you said, right? I mean, he is supremely skilled. He's got enough skill to play in the NHL right now. It's more so like he needs to finish developing out his body, he needs to work on the defensive side of the game, he's gonna need to work on face-offs if he wants to stay a center. It's all that other other kind of stuff. But as far as like, you know, when the puck's on your stick and and you just have to go make a play Ryan Winterton's already there, and I think we even saw some flashes of that from the limited uh, bit of action we saw from him this year with the Kraken. So um it's Ryan Winterton. Just you know, how high is that ceiling really going to be for him in the Firebirds? Because I could easily see, yeah, down the stretch, Shane Wright as the one C, Ryan Winterton as two, maybe, or at least anchoring a second line, maybe from the wing if he's not there uh, on faceoffs yet. So. Ryan Winterton has a ton of potential, arguably the highest, I would say definitely the highest ceiling of anybody on that Firebirds team outside of Shane Wright.
1: Okay, yeah, I was waiting for that that last bit there outside of Shane Wright, and yeah, I think uh, Winterton for me also, aside from Shane Wright, of course, just being you know a big part of the future of the franchise. I think all our eyes are going to be on him. But you know, moving past that, I think it's probably Winterton. Yeah. Um, speaking of Firebirds, though, or players who are there for the time being, uh, question from Kraken for life: Am I crazy to think that someday, maybe someday soon, Riker Evans will be a star with the Kraken? Uh, what do you, what do you think about that one, Dylan?
0: No, I think he's going to be a really good player. And I think he'll be a star among Seattle Kraken fans. I don't know that he has the upside or the complete game to necessarily break through and be considered a star from like an NHL standpoint where when when other fan bases are looking ahead on the schedule and they see the Seattle Kraken, I still think they're going to be thinking names like Matty Beneers or a Jared McCann or, or you know Shane Wright or something. But I, I don't know that they're ever going to be like, oh, man, we're going to really have to worry about Riker Evans you know, coming up and, and moving the puck on us or, or working that power play magic. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Vince Dunno is also there. Right. You think Kraken defensemen to worry about. You think Vince Dunn. And with Vince Dunn's recent contract extension, we're going to be thinking about that for a long time. Uh, And he's going to have the opportunity to have the top minutes amongst offensive defensemen. So I think for that reason, um, Riker Evans might might not be a star for other people, but I guarantee you, he'll be a star amongst Seattle Kraken fans.
1: Yeah, I think you have it right, Dylan. I I think looking at how he projects, probably ceiling of like a a very good top four defenseman with that offensive upside, who can run a power play and who can put up some nice point numbers because of it. Um, But yeah, I I don't know that I'd go as far as like star player in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Um, Next question from Seattle Kraken GM. What does the lineup look like for the first game of the 25-26 season? All four lines and 3D pairings and goalies, please and thank you.
0: You, so, can, you can't trick us, Ron Francis, trying to get us to do your work for you, build out the future roster plans. Come on now.
1: <laughs> yep, got to figure that one out yourself. Nice try, though. Mm. Although, you know, if you do want to see me projected in detail or, or you know, possibly just uh, try and see what I can come up with, you know, the Armchair GM chat is uh, coming up pretty soon in just mm-hmm. a couple days. So if, if that's something anyone wants to see, you can type it in chat and I can uh, go and go and see what 2526 might look like.
0: Yeah, uh, it's the bottom line is just, that would just take a lot of time to really get get into and through right now. And this podcast is already like 15 minutes longer than it's supposed to be. So uh, don't have the time to get to it. I will say this. I believe Maddie Beniers would be on that roster.
1: So there you go. There you go. All right. You got one player. Um, <laughs> you better be on that roster. I know. Um, uh, next question from CJ. Are there any NHL records, individual or team that you think might never be toppled? So what's one that comes to mind for you, Dylan?
0: Gretzky career points, <laughs> all-time yeah. career and points. That probably never happening.
1: Yeah, I just don't see that happening. With I mean, you'd have to have some pretty dramatic uh, rule changes. Yeah. A lot of the single season points too, like yes. 212 points in a season for for Wayne Gretzky. I think some of those are are just never going to be toppled. Um, I, to think I what was going to say
0: to go away from the obvious stuff like like the the 80s scoring era ones. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say this, like the penalty minute stuff. Just because fighting is not nearly as big a part of the game now, uh, which is certainly how you rack up those penalty minutes guys under you know things are very different right you go out there and you lay out a big hit to defend somebody and you get a game misconduct and 15 or 10 penalty minutes thrown onto your record for the night that doesn't help win you a roster spot anymore that hurts you you don't stay in the NHL long if you're doing that too much you know what i mean so i think any any of the records built around penalty minutes are also just untouchable because you know teams are too focused on not taking penalties not being punished not giving other teams power plays nobody wants to fight anymore for for a lot of good reasons. Um, and so I think anything penalty minutes related, you're not going to see that touched at, ever again probably
1: yeah I, I think that's a good point the other one I would add and maybe it's it's less secure than that would be uh, goalies uh, like games played and and wins games, records yeah. and everything too because teams are, are smartening up and realizing that just playing you know 70 75 games as goalies used to do uh, is very bad for the human body especially uh, with the butterfly which the human body is just not meant to do um, and so you're seeing more goalie tandems guys op, you know opting to uh, to rest their goalies or share the net a little bit more so I think some of those big wins and games played numbers you're not going to see matched again definitely but good question yep Um, question here from Sasquatch so uh, we know that guy he said uh, how does it feel to be the undisputed two times defending champion among notable Kraken podcast podcast groups I I swear we did not uh, plant this question Sasquatch did tweet this at us so Dylan how does it feel
0: uh I'm mean, you know, I yeah, obviously it feels good and all that kind of stuff, but ultimately it just feels right, you know? Like that it's yeah. just, everything's just the way it's supposed to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know that feeling like where you just you are where you belong. I, I think that's yeah. uh that's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh question next question from Becca. Uh where did the team dog Davy Jones go? So that's a good question, something that some fans were definitely wondering, and um, I'm not going to fully answer it here myself because uh, I, there was a great article written about that um, just like a, about a month ago or so uh, by Kate Shefty in the Seattle Times uh, where she, she talks about where Davy Jones is now, why he's kind of taking a bit of a step back from the Kraken duties and everything. So I would absolutely recommend you go read that article uh, from Kate in the Seattle Times uh, because it's, it's good stuff.
0: Yep, definitely. As I look down at the uh, the sleeping Emerald City hockey team dog here.
1: <laughs> How's Aphra doing? She is totally she passed
0: good? out. Yeah, she crashed hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, Mondays, right? Yep. Um so speaking of Kate and speaking of dogs, I guess, so we had a last minute question submission. This is the last question that we have. Uh, this one from Kate Shefty of the Seattle Times, very much a friend of ECH. Mm-hmm. Um, so this comes from a quote today uh, where we were talking to Dave Haxtell, and he said that the third line of, of Tolvan and Gordon Bjorkstrand uh, fights like cats and dogs sometimes, like their brothers, uh, but, you know, it works for them. So the question is Haxtell said the third line fights like cat and do- cats and dogs. Who is a cat? Who is a dog? Please describe said cats and dogs. So uh, let's let's map this one out. What are we thinking here, Dylan?
0: Well, you and I talked a little bit about this beforehand, and we both agreed that Ellie Tolvenin is a cat and Yanni Gord's a dog. We at least yes. got that far and, and are in total agreement there. So do we want to do we want to go in depth into those two first and then we'll tackle? york strand or should we try to tackle Let's york do that. Strand? Okay. So, uh, why don't you start with Tolvenin? I don't know too much about cats, never had a cat. Um, always been more of a dog guy. What kind of cat would would Ellie Tolvenin be, RJ? Um, uh,
1: well, starting off, we know he'd be a rescue cat. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yes. Saved definitely. him from,
1: you know, shipped him over here from Nashville and and rescued him. So, we know that's for sure. Um, you know, I I, I... I think like I, I think of like, you know, the, the fluffy Siberian cat, like, you know, white <laughs> Siberian cat, maybe a little bit, um, you know, because I, I also I, I was tempted to go with like a, you know, maybe like a Lynx Point Siamese or something that I have some experience with recently. Yeah. But I think they're a little too too chatty, a little bit too talkative. So I think any Siamese cat is out. Yours um, certainly is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I guess I guess like maybe maybe a Siberian cat. I don't know. Um That's maybe... Oh, no, definitely not. A, a Burmese is way too chatty. We, we have some experience <laughs> with that one. Um, but yeah, I'd have to think on that a little bit further. But okay. um, that's kind of what I came up with initially.
0: All right. Well, for Yanni Gord, um, as someone who has a ton of experience with lots of different uh, dog breeds and seeing them in, in interesting situations, having worked at a uh, a luxury pet hotel and day spa, um, <laughs> having been in camp with upwards of 100 dogs before, I've been able to see lots of different breeds and how they interact with each other and all that kind of stuff. And the bottom line is Yanni Gord is a boxer. All right. There's there's no question about this. I love boxers, but they are very unique and interesting dogs. They are the first dog. If something starts going down to jump in there and to try to be at the center of it. Right. Just like Yanni Gord is whenever there's some sort of tussle or net front something going on. Yanni Gord is the first one in there to to try to deal with things. But outside of that, which tends to be more of their reputation, incredible family dogs. Like the best family dogs to the point where they warn you if you do have a young family you know, understand that this dog is going to view like everything as a threat kind of thing. Um, but just incredible family dogs. They're fantastic with kids. Um, and that's, you know, another big thing that I think about with Yanni Gord is just him and his family. And and what a big part of his journey and experience and day to day his family are. They're always around, right, his girls and stuff. So um, I, I think Yanni Gord, a boxer for both the, when, when the things are going down, they want to be in the thick of it. And then also just the family aspect. So Yanni Gord, boxer, that's that's what it is.
1: That's a good pick. And you know what? I defer to you, of course, on all things dogs. You have way more experience with dogs than I do. Um, but I do think Oliver Bjorkstrand, as we get to the third member of that line, I do think he is a dog. Mm-hmm. And I have a suggestion here. So tell me if I'm way okay. off base. I defer to you completely. But I think he's a golden retriever. Interesting. And the and the, the reason I think that is because in my experience with gold retrievers, they are the most... like kind, nice, chill, laid back dogs are gonna see. Just happy and good with everyone, just loving life. And, uh, you know, not like overly energetic or whatever, but just like, I don't know, just the most chill, great dog. Like if I had to get a dog, it'd be a golden retriever, I think. Um, And that's like the way Oliver Bjorkstrand is always happy to like talk to us with the media, you know, whether he's busy or not, he'll always make the time just very nice, kind guy. And then of course, I, I don't know a lot about like the breeding or whatever, but I imagine as a retriever, you go and like, you, you go retrieve things, right? And, and Oliver Bjorkstrand, he's good at getting in those corners. He's good at like getting loose pucks and kind of retrieving pucks, and that's what he does a lot on that line too. Is he'll be the guy who goes in and, and goes and retrieves a puck, right? Yeah. So I, I think that's what why I think he's a golden retriever, but. Again, tell me if I'm way off base here because I, I admit I don't know a whole lot about this.
0: Well, no, we're in an interesting spot because you know him from like a personality standpoint where I had to base all everything based off of how he plays the sport of hockey right? Because I'm, right. I'm not around to experience that day to day. I think the golden retriever thing is interesting. Um, I think certainly like an, an older golden retriever, I would agree with all that kind of stuff. And they are very chill, and they're just happy to be around and happy to be around, you know, people and and all that stuff. I think a puppy is the opposite of that, where they're just one of the most hyper things you could ever imagine. okay, uh, All over the place. With with him, I agree he's a dog. And and based on just his, his play with you know while playing the sport of hockey I immediately went to working breeds and as I was looking down the list I you know thought maybe like a great Pyrenees but that's more of like a, an enforcer protector kind of guy and I just I settled on on a pincher specifically a German pincher because they're really smart dogs um, but they do things sometimes a little bit differently they kind of march to the beat of their own drummer but they're still very loyal they listen they they, they can fit a system RJ right when they're out there hunting they fit the system but they're gonna do it a little bit differently than maybe some other hunting dogs and so i kind of went down that route because that's what i think of with oliver bjorkstrand is that he can play within a very structured offense um but at the same time he'll throw in you know the fact that he wants to play east west instead of north south but he's going to make it work right and the end goal result is the same but he's going to get there kind of in his own uh his own unique way and so that's that's kind of where i went uh with my pick there
1: (laughs) I I can't argue with that. No, that's I that's a good pick. I mean, I you know I defer to you on all things dog there. But I'm excited to see what everyone else thinks too, because this is the kind of question that I think the Definitely. community can have a lot of fun with. So please let us know in the comments. Reach out to us on social media. What you think? I mean, are are Tolvin and Gordon Bjorkstrand uh, cats or dogs? What type, if you know, of, of cat or dog are they? I you know what I I'm sure on the Discord we'll see some lively discussion there. Yes. We even have. A Discord channel that's just pets of ECH. So if you want to post pictures of your own pet, uh, you know, around some Kraken gear or anything like that, uh, post that on the Discord. But I think we could have some fun conversation there, you know, expanding even to the whole roster if everyone wants yeah. to chat about that, uh, what kind of cat or dog everyone is.
0: Exactly. No, that's going to be the perfect place for it. Um, thank you, everybody who submitted questions to the mailbag. That was fantastic. Uh, we'll do a quick wrap up here because this podcast is so long. Uh, another huge shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast as always we really appreciate it and everybody have fun tomorrow it's it's hockey it is back crack and take it on the golden knights it's going to be epic cannot wait and we will see you all for post game live afterwards take care everybody
1: hey everyone before we go we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey especially our terror of the deep
0: patrons absurdly sane alex Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie,
1: Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean B, Sean O, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Ty, Tyler, Wendy, Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.